Welcome back to Cooking Our Books. I'm Helen and with me is Pam. Hello. And it's great to have your company as we cook up a dish from our family collection of recipes. We've made it to book 10. Yay, us! Woohoo! Woohoo! And today we've got a really special one from back in time. Firstly, can you guess the decade that this recipe is from? Think about Menzies, think about crowning of Queen Elizabeth II, advent of TV, the space race, the Melbourne Olympics for those in Australia listening, Elvis, guesses anyone? Of course, it's the 50s. And this dish really encapsulates the era and the growing prominence of women's magazines, uh, which is where we get a lot of these recipes from. It's pantry staples, it's fruity, it's fun, and a bit of a showstopper, dare we say. And spoiler alert, so, so tasty. Yes, you know it's there in our track title. We're making a pineapple upside down cake. Pam, that was a long reveal, but it kind of mirrors the response this cake got, right? Absolutely, Helen. Uh, The so surprising thing about this cake is just the reactions I got from people. You know, when I made it, I took it into work to share around and pretty much every person there had just never heard of this cake before. I don't get that. I don't get it. I was so surprised. They just were like, what is that? That was the first response I got because, as you know, the cake is like really visually striking and it's not something you see very often and it was just so much fun because so many people were like, what is that cake? What is on that cake? And they were really intrigued and it kind of reminded me that this cake is a real reflection possibly of an era gone by that not many people are aware of and – Certainly in our family, we'd heard about this cake, probably because, you know, of our mother's generation and her culture. And also the cookbooks. Yeah, the cookbooks, exactly. So it was a very familiar thing to us. It's also a reflection of families and generations and growing up with traditional recipes. I mean, for us, this was always something that was always uh, known about. And, uh, you know, if we ever had the fortunate opportunity to have some, because, of course, it was never made in our home. <laughs> yeah, we knew about it. Just we knew never, about it. never made it, never got the chance never, to eat it. <laughs> no, right, right. But we just divine. Oh, you're so right. Look, it's definitely a Western recipe. It was originally created apparently in America and we're going to delve into the origins of this cake just next. But I love this cake because it it is what it says on the tin, literally. A base of pineapple slices dotted in the centre with a maraschino or glacé cherry. We've got butter, brown sugar cooked into the base and covered with a butter cake on top. And, of course, the cake is then flipped and served bottom side up, revealing that golden yellow and red fruit, and that's what kind of makes it so visually appealing. I reckon, here's a little theory, Helen, that flipping it upside down is kind of akin to today's salt Bay sprinkling gimmick. What do you reckon? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, how to how to entice a modern 1950s housewife <laughs> by showing them a new technique and uh, they'll be the hit of any uh, uh, morning tea gathering. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the 50s and the 60s on this podcast, I guess because it's, you know, it is the era of our mother and our grandparents' sort of generation. And we talk a lot about those party dishes where, you know, a strategic placement of a cherry or a skewer or a pickled (laughs) onion or a roll of ham was considered pretty sophisticated, wasn't it? 
Oh, my Lord. Um, I'm still picturing the pineapple with the pickled onions on the toothpicks and the block <laughs> cheese stuck into the pineapple, you know. I so I keep I keep threatening, but I am so going to do a 70s theme party. I really am. Look, we, um, we, we chuckle, we chuckle, but I think we're secretly jealous. We really want to do it. <laughs> We do, and fondue. Like, yes. I used to have some of the best fondue parties. I haven't had a fondue party in about 20 years, and I've still got two fondue sets, so I'm going to have two. to dig those. Two. Not one. One's, one's never <laughs> enough. Well, right? you know, one savoury, one sweet, right? One for the exactly. chocolate. Exactly. Yeah. One for the chocolate fondue and one for the cheese fondue. You know, just be prepared to be blocked up for the next five days. <laughs> I've got a few friends that would bring some lacto- was it lactose tablets, you know, yeah, with them. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> oh, goodness. But, yeah, interesting, though, Pam, that you talk about the recipe origin. When we looked into where the, this dish comes from, it kind of blew our mind. Mm-hmm. And um, we're not speaking the oracle here around <laughs> history. This is purely just our research. But what we did find was thanks to the uh, the blog quaint cooking, they were able to trace the recipe's origins, which likely first was created in the 1920s. Quaint cooking found that uh, it appeared in a woman's magazine in 1925 in a full-page ad for a flour brand, which kind of makes sense because mm. there is a little bit of flour in the cake. But it's interesting because it was at the time an easy way to sell flour or butter or tin pineapples. The blog goes on to say that it has various examples of these big ads from that era. They were even able to find a full tinned peach version oh yes and you know what when I was reading that I was thinking the peaches would be perfect with this Mm. um well actually any sliced fruit apple would Mm -hmm. be great as Mm -hmm. well and the ads also said that you could use uh other fruit like apricots and prunes as well they say it's a mid-century cake so again taking us back to the 50s the 60s and into the early 70s and it was immensely popular and was considered you know that homey and comforting type of food what we also found out was that pineapple was the avocado toast of the 1950s <laughs> and when I say avocado toast I'm saying that with air quotes right so we all know that avocado toast is very hip now but pineapple was in the 50s it was a trendy ingredient considered even elegant to some wow um, wow I know, I, right? that is so surprising because it, <laughs> it appears so humble today as an ingredient right but yeah, yeah. tin pineapple trendy and elegant hmm <laughs> mm, uh, I take you back to uh, pickled onions and toothpicks stuck into it. <laughs> there was another theory, Pam. What was that other theory? Yes, there's another theory that the pineapple upside down cake was originally invented as part of a promotion for the Dole Food Company. Ah, Dole. I look. I next time you're in Hawaii, and I've been through the Dole pineapple plantations in Hawaii. It's a fascinating place. But yeah, Dole is huge. They're everywhere. Uh, Dole Whips in mm-hmm. Disneyland for those of us that have been lucky enough to get there. Beautiful pineapples, beautiful pineapples. Yeah, I think in Australia we've only recently, relatively recently, maybe in the last 10 years, been able to get Dole Pineapple in a tin. 
unsurprising because we we do have lots of pineapple growing up in the tropical parts of Australia. But obviously the Dole Food Company has been an international business since about, I think, 1910 or something. So we're talking around the same era of development of this company that apparently it's linked to this cake. And the theory goes that the Hawaiian Pineapple Company now called Dole Pineapple or the Dole Food Company, held a pineapple recipe contest in 1925 with judges from Fanny's Farmer's School, Good Housekeeping and McCall's Magazine on the judging panel. So the 100 winning recipes would be published in a cookbook the following year and apparently over 60,000 recipes were sent in and 2,500... 60,000, wow. 60,000, yeah. yeah. 2,500 of them were for pineapple upside down cake. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> so it's oh obvious that between 1903 when canned pineapple was first available and 1925 when the contest was held that the pineapple upside down cake had become a very popular item. Uh, I love that little side story and it kind of makes yeah. sense that as it became quite a trendy product that a lot of people just thought, oh, I can use this in a cake. Yeah, a bit more believable I think, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, for me, I want to get a hold of that uh, Dole Food Company uh, cookbook yeah. that was published in, what, A 100 Recipes. Mm. I'm going to have to find myself a copy of that. I reckon. Yes. That would be amazing. Mm-hmm. I think we've uncovered the upside-down part of the recipe. Here's another fascinating tidbit that we also found from a website called The Kitchen Project, and they go to state, the idea of cooking a cake upside down is an old technique that started centuries ago when cakes were cooked in cast iron skillets. Oh, right, cast iron skillets, of course, because a lot of people had open fires, didn't they, in their kitchen? Yeah, exactly. And in fact, you know, there's a big resurgence nowadays actually back Mm. to cast iron cooking. They go to say it was easy for cooks to add fruit and sugar in the bottom of the pan and a simple cake batter on top and put it over the fire to cook. Then flipping it over onto a plate was a natural way to show the pretty fruit and let it run into the cake as well. So, you know, the magazine we've used um, and the recipe in our mum's cookbook is a full-page colour recipe which comes from, and drumroll please, after 10 episodes we've finally got an actual date of a magazine and a date that it was published because mum thankfully left the, <laughs> the uh, footer of the, mm-hmm. of the magazine page on. But this recipe came out of the Family Circle magazine on the 30th of March, 1984. That is 39 years ago. (laughs) Oh, bless. It's it's nearly 40 years old, this recipe alone, and that was in 84. So we've hit the end and we've actually got a recipe with a known magazine. Because yeah. every episode we just guess what it's we, come out yeah, of. We guess, we guess. But we it, guess. I love it how, like, you know, the book 10, the last book of the cookbooks, <laughs> we've hit 1984, you know. <laughs> I think I think our dates so far in every 10 episodes has been slightly off. Probably anyway. about 20 years earlier than what we're predicting, I think. <laughs> Is that denial a little bit? I think maybe, yes. I just still feel like 1984 was yesterday for me. Mm. It was, you know, gosh, it was just I can't believe it's nearly 40 years since 1984. But anywho, 
whatever story you want to believe around the origins of the cake, it doesn't matter because honestly, it's just bloody delicious. Oh, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> ingredients, as we've said, a tin of pineapple rings. But honestly, if you don't have rings and you've got pineapple pieces, yep, still um, good. Do a bit of uh, mosaic or origami. <laughs> I still reckon it'd taste amazing, oh. right? And it'd look even better because you could whack with pineapple pieces. You, you could whack more cherries in there too. I as reckon well, you so. could do a bit of art. To your point, mosaic. Oh, you could do yeah. a bit of a face with pieces. I reckon you could do some funny designs. That would be that would be good to do. I'm thinking I might set myself a challenge because <laughs> I've got a tin of pineapple pieces in the pantry. How do you know you're really bored? It's like. <laughs> You start doing art with your pineapple upside down cake. Yeah, exactly. Glaze or maraschino cherries, brown sugar, butter, and then the cake batter is just your eggs, your caster sugar, self-raising flour and your butter. So really basic pantry staple ingredients. Maybe if you don't have a packet of glaze cherries in the cupboard, you might have had to go out and buy glaze or maraschino cherries in a jar. They're stocked at every single supermarket, mm-hmm. so you mm-hmm. know, it's not. Uh, it, it is fundamentally pantry staples, and honestly, you don't have to put the cherries in if you don't want to. Yeah, true. Uh, it's just uh, there for extra yumminess, but um, it would work beautifully no matter what, with or without cherries. The recipe itself says that it's simple. So true. It's a very simple dish to make. I didn't have many swap outs at all, just did the usual thing with an egg replacer. I would say my biggest takeaway is the batter amount that they ask you to make in the recipe just ain't enough. On first glance, I thought there's no way that this amount of batter is going to be even enough to coat the base of my dish. So what I did was I just doubled it. I think the original batter only had about two thirds of a cup of flour and I just thought that it wasn't enough. So I doubled it. It worked quite well. There's no liquid in the batter either. So this was a tough one to make a plant-based version because in the original recipe, there's three eggs. And along mm. with some butter, that's the only wet part of the batter. So my slightly dodgy egg replacer <laughs> doesn't rely on a lot of liquid. So what I had to do was actually I just added some plant-based milk to the batter to actually make it smooth enough to be able to drizzle over the base. But other than that, it was totally fine. Firstly, unusually for me, but I didn't change a thing in the recipe. I know you'd made your recipe before me and you had given me a heads up around the batter volume and that it wasn't enough. But I did actually start approach the recipe when I did make it and I thought to myself, you know what, I'm just going to follow the recipe and see where it leads me mm-hmm. uh, because I wasn't changing out any. I didn't substitute anything. I followed the recipe to the letter. Initially, it tells you to put three eggs and the caster sugar and beat it for 10 minutes. Now, this is where I think with your egg replacer it didn't get that volume because the three eggs and the cast sugar tripled in volume size oh, for me after 10 that minutes makes sense. Right? that yeah. makes a lot so, of sense yeah, yeah it's like a sponge yeah. was aerated yes sort of yes and and look i will say that I highly recommend that you do it with a stand mixer 
I think it would work better, the recipe, if, if you are going to make it, use a stand mixer because the stand mixer will really get those eggs and sugar beaten and aerated. And that's what you're trying to do is you're, aer you're aerating those eggs. You can do it with a hand mixer, but your arms will get really, really tired because there is 10 <laughs> minutes of beating. Mm -hmm. So after 10 minutes of beating in the stand mixer, the volume of the eggs tripled in size. So there was an enormous amount and it was this beautiful ribbony liquid it was just gorgeous it it came off the spatula in just in ribbons of batter very liquid very smooth and so I thought I'm just going to stick with the two-thirds of a cup of flour and I did it the recipe then calls for you to just very gently fold in that two-thirds of a cup of flour and you're wanting to gently fold it in to avoid beating out all that wonderful air that you've just added into the eggs right so you are actually left with this very large consistency of batter which to me was perfect it it, it covered it and in the end my cake came out about five or six centimeters high it was so if you're following the recipe and not substituting anything it works perfectly outside of that as you say really easy really straightforward recipe with the hardest part being arranging the pineapple slices and the cherries on the bottom of the pan but as I mentioned earlier you could you know go to town on doing any sort of mosaic pattern <laughs> it would come out perfect challenge um, Helen challenge yeah, oh, out there. Mm. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm thinking I really do think that this is a great recipe for beginner cooks when I was making it I was like this is so straightforward but really show stopping at the end if there's any beginner cooks out there honestly 100% recommend you try this recipe. You'll impress everyone. But yeah, look, in the end, plenty of cake mixture went over the top of the pineapples and it really did produce that beautiful sponge. I wouldn't have called it a butter cake. I would have called it a sponge. And it's a sponge because of all the air that's been whipped into the eggs at the beginning of it. When I flipped the cake over, it was perfect size, just perfect. The best part about it, like it was great the second day, and yes, I did have some leftover for the second day. Best time to eat it, about 10 minutes after it's come out of the oven because <laughs> that beautiful gooey toffee-like coating that you put down the butter and the brown sugar at the bottom of the pan, then layer your pineapples and your cherries over the top. That butter and brown sugar turns into like a gorgeous caramelly toffee Oh, it was just divine, just divine. I, I may or may not have had three slices straight up. <laughs> well, it, it's hardly surprising given how absolutely stunning your cake looked. When you sent me the picture that you'd taken, incredible. I would say it even looks better than the recipe picture. Beautiful uniform brown behind those golden pineapples and your cherries and artfully aligned, I would say, in your dish. So <laughs> you, you really had it down pat there, Helen, and it looked Moorish. And you're right, oh, yeah. it, that's the surprise for me was that caramel. You know, when yeah. you combine that brown sugar and butter in the base and then it has that slight hint of pineapple juice from the fruit and it all kind of melds together. That's the beauty of this cake. And uh, all I will, I will ask you, how was the flipping over part for you? Did you get any nervousness? Because I felt a little nervous and it was that moment of, is this thing going to come out? 
<laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I'll say I was a little nervous, but I had my tin lined with baking paper. So I knew straight up that with baking paper, it wasn't going to stick, right? I think uh, had I not done it with baking paper, then, yeah, I would have been way more nervous. But Isn't that funny? Because I actually did not line it with baking paper. The recipe says to melt butter in your dish on top of the stove to, to sort of coat it in butter. And that's probably where I should have used baking paper. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. a better idea. But, didn't do that. There you go. Yours <laughs> came out fine though, didn't it? It did. There's a few little patches where the brown sugar had sort of stuck to the base and the, the cake kind of stuck with it. So it was a bit patchy oh. when it turned over, but it certainly came out fine. And that was, yeah. that's the most important thing. I was starting to think what other variations we've talked about, all the fruit kind of variations you could use. And then I was thinking, could you put a layer of custard over the top? And then I thought, well, that's just me post tipsy trifle thinking. <laughs> <laughs> For those listeners from last episode, we had our coronation discussion and the tipsy trifle recipe that we found in the cookbooks. Pam and I were lucky enough to get together over the coronation weekend, not for the coronation, I'll state, but it just coincidentally happened. And lo and behold, guess who pulled out the tipsy trifle <laughs> for dinner on the Saturday night? So there we were watching the coronation, eating the tipsy trifle that my darling sister Pamela made. It was fabulous. It was, it was good. So it was good. good. Yeah. It was so good. You did an awesome job. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to know how many rules I broke because it was a vegan trifle, which God, my first trifle ever and certainly my first vegan version of a trifle. So, you know, there was no clotted cream or anything like that. But we did well. We did well. And I've you, learned how to make plant-based custard for the first time. You, you <laughs> did amazing, can I say? You did amazing. So, yes, go the tipsy trifle. I may have to uh, pull that one out and make it for Christmas. <laughs> In the proper trifle dish that you have. Yeah, yeah. It's waited yeah, to be yeah. used all year, Helen. It's just sitting in your cupboard <laughs> Going, why doesn't she ever think of me? Why doesn't she use me? It and does get dragged out occasionally. Maybe <laughs> for occasional barbecues I'll whack the old potato salad in it. But, um... <laughs> All the indignity. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I love potato salad, by the way. Yes. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> anything oh, carb, anything carb is just bring it on, bring it on. Bring yeah. it on, bring it on, yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that's about it for today and season one of the show. Round of we applause. We made it. We made it. We made it. End of season one. So first of all, on behalf of Pam and I, I want to thank everyone who's listened to all 10 episodes of this first season. We really appreciate you and we'd love to get some feedback. Drop us a line on our Instagram or an email. We'd just love to hear your thoughts and if there's anything specific that you'd like us to do, have a chat about. We can't wait for season two. So we'll be starting back at book one again, because of course there's hundreds of recipes that are just waiting for Pam and I to start tackling. But in season two, we'll also be welcoming some friends and they will be bringing their family favourite recipes for us to try as well. Yep, can't wait for season two. More of these great recipes from our cookbooks and so intrigued to hear the recipes from other people's families. 
and uh, really loved the pineapple upside down cake. What a great history and what a delicious easy cake. This one's going to be made by me again. And yes, it's another little notch that I have to get that stand mixer that I don't have as <laughs> at the moment. Okay, you can find the original recipe and our pictures at our Instagram. The handle is cooking our books number one. We'll link in the blogs we mentioned in the show notes as well. Our theme music is by Josh Woodward. Bye for now. Thank you, Helen. Thanks, Pam. Bye, everyone. We'll see you in season two.